0: John Connery in a gun barrel, a rocket jet pack, a fake funeral, James Bond punching a woman, Bond's French connection, cryptic Latin inscriptions etched on a chapel wall, water cannons shooting the bad guys from the Aston Martin DB5, and of course, a fight. These are just some of the things we'll examine as we look into the pre-title sequence in the 1965 James Bond movie, Thunderball. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri,
1: Tom Pizzotto, and Vicky Hodges,
0: from SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please join us as we're cracking the code of the pre-title sequence in Thunderball. So let's go. We see for the first time in The Gun Barrel, it's not Bob Simmons, the stunt guy. It's Sean Connery. Go and,
1: figure, it's Bond. Yeah,
0: and from this point on, we are actually going to see Bond in the pre-title sequences in The Gun Barrel and not a stuntman. What a concept! (laughs) They needed to change the clip here as the aspect ratio for Thunderball changed from the previous movie so they couldn't reuse the clip that they had from the prior movies.
2: One thing we haven't mentioned yet in our pre-title sequence podcast series is the origins of the gun barrel. We had mentioned the pre-title sequence in the 1934 movie Crime Without Passion in an earlier podcast. But we haven't yet talked about the ending to the 1903 movie *The Great Train Robbery*, which ends with a gunman pointing the gun at the viewer and firing. Some people think this scene also influenced the gun barrel sequences.
0: Yeah, it's funny that these things were around decades and decades before Bond was even written. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it, it actually is. And, and then when you hear about how it was made, it sounds like it—you know—it might have been in the backs of somebody's mind. But when Maurice Binder put that together, he was just playing around and said, hey, if I shoot through this gun barrel, I can do this.
0: Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: We had mentioned the pre-title sequence in the 1934 movie Crime Without Passion in an earlier podcast.
0: We've seen in the first three James Bond, Ian production movies, two circles that cross the screen. And by the way, I have always thought those were the double (laughs) O. That's, what, that's just my take on it. I don't know. It looks like it should be the double O. But here in Thunderball, when the gun barrel scene ends, the gun barrel finally morphs to the first scene in the pre-title sequence. It doesn't just fade out like it did in the other movies. It actually shows us part of the first scene within the gun barrel. First time this has happened. So this is kind of neat. This is cool and a great addition to the series. And the circle shows the initials here, J.B., and as the camera pans backwards, it shows JB is emblazoned on a casket. What? Again, for about 20 seconds, we must think this is James Bond, dead,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. again.
0: <laughs> it's the fourth movie by Ann Productions and Bond is dead again in the beginning.
1: Yeah, they just love killing him off right at the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, well, you remember from Russia with Love? Of course, it wasn't him, it turns out. But wow, I don't know. This makes me queasy, and I I don't know what to do because Bond's dead already. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. There's another 21 movies. How how can this be? Well, we know that
1: now. Back then.
0: Back then, you didn't know it. So there's some advantage to being in the future. (laughs) but this makes me just queasy i got uh, bond dead i don't know this makes me want to have a sip of coffee because i I gotta wake up here because bond's dead i'm just too nervous hang on Mm. hey we found a delicious coffee for you by the way i mean this is spy coffees and you can find them at spycoffees.com and our listeners get 20 percent off with roasts like spy master dark roast or double agent medium roast which i'm drinking right now or agent blend light roast in whole bean, ground, and even some K-cups, make a clandestine trip to spycoffees.com and use the spy code, SpyNav S-P-Y-N-A-V. And you'll get 20% off at checkout. All right, let's get back. I think I'm awake.
1: We see as the funeral's ending in this small, beautiful French chapel, James Bond on this inside balcony, speaking with a woman who turns out to be his French MI6 connection.
2: You know, I'm pleased the creators went with a lighter setting for this pre-title sequence. Of course, the last two films have been set at night, giving a dangerous, foreboding atmosphere. This one feels more normal and more inviting to the viewer. Yeah, yeah, a, I, yeah like, I like that I like too.
1: The, That's good. It is a lot lighter feeling, except it's a funeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there is yeah. that.
2: Not, <laughs> yeah. <it's>
1: not, yeah. <laughs> so now the funeral, the funeral with the JB on it was really for Jacques Bouvard who was specter number six, who Bond reveals murdered two of his colleagues. Mm. Now I'm wondering, what is James Bond doing at Jacques Bouvard's funeral? That doesn't, I don't get
0: it. Oh, it makes me wonder, why the hell is he, why is he there? Now we
1: don't know if he killed two 00 agents or colleagues perhaps from the CIA or the French Douzième Bureau. Mm-hmm. Though was French contact, who's credited as Mademoiselle Laporte, says,
0: At least you've been saved the effort of removing him. Colonel Bouvard passed away in his sleep, so they tell me. Mm.
1: It comes out that Bond is disappointed. He didn't get to kill him himself. You
0: son disappointed. You did not kill him yourself. Jacques Bouvard murdered
1: two of my colleagues.
0: Yeah, I mean, so maybe I'm listening to this thing too, and I'm saying maybe the French contact just told us what Bond is doing there in France. He was going to kill Bouvard. And maybe Bouvard found out and staged this whole thing or something.
1: I don't know. Yeah, but if this is B- Bouvard's funeral... It looks to me like somebody beat Bond to it. She says he may have died in his sleep but given that this is somebody Bond was going to be going after I kind of doubt that somebody probably beat Bond to it
0: yeah
2: on the wall next to the balcony is Latin text cause and pro DCpom um I don't speak Latin <laughs> but we've looked into this and can't get a definitive translation of this but best guess that it's a Ken Adams team special. The closest we could find for the translation is something like, "He will say that with God, trying to portray a religious significance to the funeral, maybe."
0: Well, who knows? I mean, Latin is a tough language. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
0: it's the old saying. When we had to study it, it was horrible. We used to say Latin is a dead language. It's as dead as can be. First, it killed the Romans, and now it's killing me. So I, <laughs> I don't know if we pronounce that right or not. But anyway, I I know a cousin of mine. Who does know latin <laughs> a lot of latin and he's one of the brightest guys i know so i said to him hey this is what we got what the hell does this mean and he quickly replied he recites or pleads his cause before god so the latin that vicky just read meticulously well <laughs> means he recites or pleads his cause before god so now i'm thinking wait a minute this is kind of cool this could actually fit into the movie it makes sense if we look at he being jack Bouvard and who at the moment we think is dead he could be pleading his case before god right now like hey god i'm an assassin and i did my job hey don't hold that against me
2: it could be a general message which includes bond too and what he's about to do <laughs> when he thinks Bouvard is still alive yeah Hey God, I'll plead my case right there before you. I'm going to do my best to kill Beauvoir. <laughs> yeah,
0: I like that. <laughs> what a great <laughs> All of a sudden we have prayer. this we have this little inscription. <laughs> and now we could put this into this pre-title clip and think, wait a minute, this has meaning. So I really like that you found this text on. Now if Tom found this, hey, there's this Latin text in there, and I'm looking for a plaque or something. I'm thinking, I can't I have not seen this text anywhere on the on the screen. I'm looking over and over again. And then it's inscribed in the wall near the ceiling and it's believable that it would be inscribed on a chapel wall because they do that kind of thing but including it in the movie this part of it is intentional so it's not it's not a prop it's there but i think it was intentional that they included this part in this clip so this is good i think we uncovered something here that mm, most people would miss
2: yeah yeah well
1: i mean like i said i think it's a ken adams set
0: no but i think it's believable that it would be inscribed on the chapel wall but including it in the movie certainly is intentional so i've looked into this a little bit more and i found other pictures of the chapel and inscriptions are written all around the chapel near the ceiling as we see in the pre title clip And so what we see here is part of the total that seems to be really in the chapel. So I contacted jamesbondlocations.blogspot.com and talked to the guy there and asked if we can use some of his pictures that we're going to put in the video. And indeed, there is this inscription all around the chapel. So not a set. This was shot in this chapel. And those inscriptions are really on the wall. Very Well, cool. I'm,
1: I'm glad you found that, because, like mm-hmm. Vicky, I thought this whole thing was a set, not a real chapel. Yeah When I noticed the Latin, I went back and looked at this whole scene. I went frame by frame, yeah. this thing. because <laughs> trying, to, trying to catch that whole phrase, the Deum's really hard to pick up.: Yes. But I also looked at the, on the balcony itself, there's some artwork of some kind, and there's a letter B repeating in the artwork. So I was thinking maybe this was B for Bouvard. Well, but if it was in the chapel when they got there for filming, It obviously is just a coincidence. Yeah. So I thought this was really a nice set piece that, you know, they say all doors lead to Pinewood. Yeah. It's cool you found those pictures because it shows it really was filmed at the chapel at the chateau. Yeah. Not a set like I had originally believed.
0: Yeah. That was fun. That was fun discovering that. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Don, with the Latin stuff in there. This is, it was great. It was great to see that. So as the funeral is exiting the chapel, Bond and his French contact, the woman, walk out onto the outer balcony. We can interpret what Bond means when his contact asks,
2: Is there anything else our French station can do for Monsieur Bond?
0: And Bond replies, looking at her and then away, like, hmm. <laughs> Later, perhaps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <That> dirty dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, a good Bond moment. He watches the widow get into the limo, opening the door for herself. And Bond says to his French contact, As I said, later. Come on. <laughs> And the come on is important here.
2: Why is that important here?
0: We're going to explain that in a few minutes, but remember that Bond said come on. All right, mm-hmm. so we switch to the chateau. The widow arrives and enters the room in which James Bond awaits. The chateau is the Chateau Donet, located about 78 kilometers west of Paris, France, near Dreux. All right, I don't know. That's a French town. It's D-R-E-U-X. I think it's Dreux. My wife speaks French, and she said that. and it was Don't built ask me <laughs> and it was built from 1547 to 1552. So in non-COVID times you can go actually sign up for tours of the villa. It's pretty cool. That's
1: cool. yeah we're going to have to do one of those trips.
0: I would love mm-hmm. to go, go stand in that chapel. yeah, yeah
2: mm-hmm. absolutely. So we've all wondered, or at least should have wondered, yeah. how Bond got to the chateau ahead of the widow. Because we see him standing on the outdoor balcony of the church, watching the widow get into the limo, and then the limo drives off. Actually, you can check out more on the Lincoln Continental Stretch Limo on my YouTube channel, The Bond Room Unlocked. Episode 3, whereby I look at this elegant vehicle in more detail.
0: Very cool channel. Check it out. It's cool. Absolutely yeah so in reality the chapel was built just east of the east wing of the real chateau the east wing no longer exists but the west wing is still there and so the chapel now is freestanding so in real life it's basically right there it's right on the grounds it's the next door (laughs) to where (laughs) there we go but in the movie it seems like it's some distance off they get into the limo they're driving and so on and so we're gonna run with that but still how did Bond beat the widow to the chateau?
1: Well, she took the car. Yeah. He walked down the stairs from the balcony and just cut across the lawn. Or maybe she stopped at McDonald's or something. On the-
0: <laughs> ah, well, this too we'll address in a minute, yeah.
2: Okay, so we see Bond in an upstairs room, seated calmly in a wingback chair as the widow walks in and locks the door behind her. This is a great set. This is supposed to be an old chateau, and he's appointed like it. I really like the way they did this room. The details on the doors, the tapestries, all of it. Really well done by Kent, Adam, and his team yet again. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love the ornate doors, the fireplace, everything. It looks
2: fantastic. Mm, It It looks fantastic. And Bond confronts the widow, expressing his condolences. Then he punches the widow. (laughs) (laughs) And as we realise, the widow is really Jacques Beauvoir. And a very good fight ensues. And then eventually, Bond gets the better of Jacques and strangles him with a fireplace poker. Nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, from one of our posts on Facebook about this upcoming podcast, we have another first pointed out by Stephen Saltzman. He says, mm-hmm. huge risks involved financially and technically in the movie he's talking about in Thunderball. This is a massive undertaking for Thunderball with the underwater scenes, breaking new grounds, both in terms of direction and camera technology and so on. A lot of firsts. And I think he was talking about that in terms of costs and production costs and so okay. on. Also, the first pond to feature a crossdresser <laughs> brandishing <laughs> a steel poker. Actually, it's Bob Simmons in drag. So oh, oh, that's all true. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but yeah, okay, this is the first bond movie with a guy in drag okay
1: so now you say financially and technically is it just the cross dresser part or no 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 for the whole movie at the show chateau and there was a huge financial liability i
0: I think he meant the whole movie and and why would he know something about that well this comment was sent to us by Stephen saltzman you may have heard the last name saltzman (laughs) yeah harry saltzman this is harry saltzman's son talking to us yeah of course Harry (laughs) was the co-producer, along with Albert Cubby Broccoli, of the first nine Ian Production James Bond movies, including Thunderball. So, Harry Saltzman also produced the Harry Palmer movie starring Michael Caine, The Ipkris File, Funeral in Berlin, Billion Dollar Brain. And we've talked with Stephen on the phone. And he's doing something very cool, actually, by the way, right now with The Ipkris File. He's co-producing a series made for television through ITV, Starring Peaky Blinders star, Joe Cole. Oh. Yeah, we'll be talking with Steven about this later and we'll do a podcast about it with him. So that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: I, th- I thought Joe Cole was really great as John Shelby in Peaky Blinders. So I think it'll be really cool to see him in this role because it'll be a-, a-, a little bit different. Yeah. But uh, it'll- I bet he plays it differently than Michael Caine did. So it'll be really cool to see how that mm-hmm. gets done.
0: Yeah, it looked cool. He's getting some good press on it too. So that's going to be fun. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, back to the fight. <laughs> this kind of gets me. For a gorgeous chateau, impeccably <laughs> furnished, the furniture during the fight seems to break and fall apart quite easily, like cheap stuff. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Everything is smashing into pieces. You bump into a chair, bam! A table, whoosh, it's, anyway, that, that got me. It's like, okay, uh, I, I, I like the production value of it, but, <sighs> okay. Yeah, Bond wants to kill Bouvard. We know that. He was on the balcony telling the French Connection, his French Connection, that. Disappointed he didn't do it. Now he has the chance. (sighs) So what does he do? He gets up from the chair, punches Bouvard. (laughs) Hey, why don't you do that and then shoot him? Boom, bam, you're dead. Nobody ever just
1: shoots somebody.
0: No, no, he's got to get into a fist fight with the guy. You know, fist fights can end up badly. I mean... You don't know what Jacques Bouvard could do. Anyway, again, this was Bob Simmons, as Stephen Sulfman pointed out, doing the stunts and being Mrs. Bouvard and now Jacques Bouvard. But yeah, I, I,
1: I love this fight, Dan. I mean, yeah. Bob Simmons, he always fights well. Yes. I mean, he was bo- Bond's double in, from Russia with Love in that fight scene on the train. Yeah, I just, I just love the way that guy does his fighting.
2: Yeah. Well, again, I'm going to be controversial. And you both know Thunderbolt <laughs> is my least favorite of Sean T on films. I I can't believe that. But I, st- I still like it. I still like it. <laughs> but due to the inconsistent use of sped-up footage and a times slower script, the fight for me isn't as impactful as the lift fight in Diamonds of Forever from 1971. That just feels more brutal for me.
0: Yeah, well, you're right. The one in, in Diamonds is brutal. This one gets a little brutal when he's strangling them with the poker the fireplace poker but other than that it's just a fight yeah but you've also
1: got more room to work with in this scene where in the in the lift it's it's a very confined space yes, yes. so it's that, uh, it gonna be it is gonna be pretty brutal but you can't you couldn't do all the flipping and stuff these guys have to do in this fight inside the lift yeah diamonds
0: the fight includes bouvard picking up a fireplace poker as we mentioned before the bond eventually strangles him with it but he, he's hitting Bond with it a couple of times. And one of the times he hits him across the back.
2: Now, waiting from Russia with Love, we see Tanya feeling around Bond's back in yeah. the bed looking for the scar that she knew he had on his lower left back. Yeah, yeah. Several inches long. And Sylvia Trench mentions it in the boat in the beginning. But From Russia with Love came out in 1963, and Thunderbolt is 1965. And even with the books by Fleming from Russia with Love, was first in 1957, and then Thunderbolt in 1961. Could not find a reference to a scar on the back, only on the cheek. In the books. So this is not mentioned again in any of the other Bond movies as far as we know.
0: No, right? I, don't I don't think so.
1: I don't remember it. Yeah.
2: And then later in Thunderball, when he's in trouble and spa getting rehabilitated, the therapist notices a bruise on his back, probably five to six inches long, or on the right side of his back, This is a fireplace poker for sure. Nice connection with the movie.
0: Yeah, I like that.
2: Funny looking bruise. Full.
0: A poker. In the hands of a widow.
2: I'm surprised. I'd have
0: thought you were just the type for a widow. Oh, not this one. He didn't like me at all.
1: Yeah, and I I think there's a difference between the bruise on the back and a scar because there's nothing that Patricia Fearing says about a scar. She just comments on the bruise.
0: Yeah, that's true too.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting that there she didn't comment about a scar that was there two movies ago.
0: So Bond strangles Bouvard to death with the fireplace poker. Nice as he finally gets his wish to kill Bouvard to get his revenge on the two colleagues of Bond that Bouvard murdered.
1: Hmm. Bond doing a revenge killing. <laughs> he seems to like revenge killings. We saw it in License to Kill when he goes after Sanchez. Yeah. yeah. I've always assumed the dropping of the bald man with the white cat and for your eyes only was Bond killing Blofeld for revenge for Tracy's death yeah, from on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So. Although it was actually Boont that killed her. So Blofeld didn't fire the gun, but he was driving. The one that surprised me was in the Quantum of Solace, where he didn't kill Yusuf at the end yeah, as revenge yeah. for Vesper.
0: Yeah, I wanted him to. I was surprised to. too. I wanted him to. I was like, <laughs> pop them and get out of there. <laughs> but no, he didn't. It's one time I was like, do it. (laughs) All right, back to Thunderball. (laughs) Bond needs to make a quick exit as he hears others approaching on the other side of the door where Bouvard walked in. Now, they obviously hear the commotion from the fight and all the cheap furniture breaking.
1: (laughs) Okay, wait a second. That's the second time you said that about the cheap furniture. (laughs) It's a lovely chateau, no cheap furniture here.
0: Except all the stuff that's smashing into pieces.
1: Yeah, but it's just old and brittle.
0: Yeah, right. I don't I think don't so. Know. Anyway, the point is, they, she locked the door, if you recall, when she came in. For some reason, she, he, Bouvard, when she came into the room, locked the door. I don't know. Maybe she wanted privacy. He wanted privacy. But now they can't get in quickly because the door is locked. That's the point of this. It's like, okay, wow. They got to smash through the door. But typical Bond, as we will see this later in this very same movie, here he hesitates on his exit takes flowers out of a vase or, well, this is a chateau, it might be a vase and (laughs) tosses them although if it's cheap it may be a vase uh, (laughs) and tosses them on Bouvard's body. The point is this as Bond is trying to get the hell out of there the door is being hit from the outside remember smashing the door down because it's locked as we said Bouvard's guys will be in the room any second (laughs) And because Bond stops and throws the flowers on Bouvard, Bouvard's guys get in the room just in time to see Bond exiting through a door, which they would not have seen if Bond weren't so bold. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be looking around for a few seconds like, what, where the hell is it? Where's this guy? Where did he go? No, no, they see him going out that door so they can go chase him immediately. So, yeah, but it
2: just makes it more exciting. If he
0: just went, you know, it's like last minute. <laughs> oh, I know that's that, you know, that's it, and it's Bond, you know. I am a cocky son of a gun. I got gonna... well, it, do,
2: <laughs> it does let the
1: henchmen be available for the next part of this scene because if they don't see him yeah. go off, they might not have gone out to the balcony for the next part. I
0: know, of this. but this is a scene in the movie. A spy, he's a spy for crying out loud. You don't do this kind of crap. <laughs> As Bond escapes on his rocket belt. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Bouvard's goons get off five shots at him. Fortunately, they all miss. They listen
1: to us. Just shoot him.
0: Yeah. Most of the people that shoot at Bond can't hit a damn target. So, <laughs> so they get five shots off at him, which they would not have gotten off at him had he not thrown the flowers, by the way. Uh, they missed and he would have been killed there for sure boom one hit bam you're done because now he's up in the air in a freaking rocket belt (laughs) and now you hit him with a bullet he can't control it bam he's dead anyway whether he hits the ground or dies from the bullet
1: (sighs) yeah but i I remember when i went and shot that handgun how hard it was to hit something i can't trying to shoot something moving with a moving with a handgun would be pretty difficult i would think
0: it would be bond bond's pretty good at it though
1: (laughs) so let's get back you talked about the flowers he tossed on bouvard yeah and they could have been a foreshadowing of Bond's own funeral. Now, Dan, you just said rocket belt, and that was a good choice of words. Yeah. This is often referred to as a jet pack, but it's not a jet pack. What he flies is the Bell rocket belt. Okay, I'm gonna get a little technical here. The, the rocket <laughs> belt works off a chemical reaction, hydrogen peroxide and nitrogen reacting with silver. Uh-huh. It results in steam and oxygen blasting out to create the thrust.
0: Okay.
1: The important part here is that the difference between a jet and a rocket is that the jet uses atmospheric oxygen to burn their fuel. Okay. And thus they have two openings at minimum to operate. One to take in oxygen, the other for thrusts or exhaust. Rockets are self-contained and only have the openings for thrust or exhaust. So there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course you knew that, right? Yeah.
0: So, I knew Tom had looked that up.
1: Yeah. So, of course, it's not Sean Connery flying the rocket belt. It's a real device. Then they brought in at the time, there were only two guys who could fly it. And they brought in one of the guys, Bill Suter. He flies the rocket belt off the balcony. And we see Bond with the two guys chasing him. Bond stops and puts on the helmet.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, really. Okay. There's safety and then there's safety. Bullets will be flying at you virtually any second. And you stop and don a helmet to protect you from injury in case you might crash with your rocket belt.
1: If, if I was putting a rocket belt on, would I you, would put a helmet on.
0: With your rocket belt. I mean, yeah, you'd want to put it on, but, I mean, they're going to be killing you with bullets any second here. You know, i take your chance. I would take my chance. like, I'm getting the hell out of here. But anyway.
2: Well, the producers and all wanted Bill Suter to just fly the thing without a helmet, but Suter (laughs) insisted on wearing the helmet. Therefore, they have to show Bond wearing a helmet. There you go. They actually had to film the scene with Bond and the helmet later, as far as we can tell. Now, interestingly, in the UK, back in September of last year, the GNASS, Great North Air Ambulance Service, and Gravity Industries tested a jetpack for paramedics to use to reach those injured in mountainous terrain. Andy Mawson of the GNIAS said that it's the biggest advantage is its speed. What might have taken a few hours could have taken minutes, a matter of life or death. Wow.
1: Yeah, I actually just read an article on this this military website that was talking about how they're looking to use these things? They're working with a contractor to develop these things. They say it can go 200 miles an hour, but it can only go for like 10 minutes. Yeah. But you can cover 30 miles in that time. Yeah. So if yeah. you've got to if you've got to bring some specialist onto a site or get somebody out, you've got a really interesting use of this thing. And when they do that, I'm going to instantly think of Thunderball, and I'm going to think about how much I want one of these toys. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think the Thunderball one, the real one, could only go for like thirty seconds or something. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. All right.
1: So now I love when Bond flies this thing, and then when he comes down, the amount of dirt that gets kicked up when he lands, the <laughs> normally pristine DB five, it's got this layer of dust on it from this from this landing. Sure. But the passenger window was open, so the interior of the car would have also been covered with dirt.
0: Yeah, so they get a little yeah. dust on their clothes. Big deal. I mean, he's dusty already. He's dirty. He's been in a fight. Who cares? There's another yeah, suit in wardrobe. Yeah, the
2: DB5 looks pretty clean again.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. It, seems, it, it just seems inconsistent.
0: Cleaned up mm. a little bit.
1: Now, did you ever there wonder... There we are with continuity and the Bond films again.
0: Yeah, that's not a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever wonder why... The rocket belt is sitting on the balcony just waiting for Bond to escape. Anybody out there wonder that? We did, too. <laughs> and here's what we think is the answer. Remember we said earlier that Bond said to his French connection, Come on. Yes.
1: Well, you it, told us it was important to It remember. was
0: important, and here's why. Bond beat the widow to the chateau because he flew his rocket belt to the chateau much faster than a car. <laughs> he can fly as the crow flies, and it would have been a very short distance across the property of the chateau. So, bam, he's but there. I don't oh. think
1: that they would have seen them in the car. That's what have seen seen I have
0: maybe on the other side, you know, of the chateau. Although there were you, a lot of trees, you would think, you know, okay, maybe you could see it, but or hear it, but they didn't. And who's waiting for Bond when he escapes with the Aston Martin? Yeah his French contact and there she is so she was in on the whole rocket belt thing from the beginning so there you have it
1: Mm -hmm. let me let me then say you just said a second ago that the thing could go like for 30 seconds
0: well we refilled it while he was on in the movie we don't know that in the movie we don't know that in real life it could go I think for about 30 seconds so you know in the movie we have to have the willing suspension of disbelief which sometimes you have to have with a Bond movie I don't know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Now, Stephen J. Rubin, who's the author of the James Bond movie encyclopedia, and we did a podcast on him with that, and he's a contributor to our group on Facebook, he reminded us that Rose Alba portrayed Madame Bouvoir, and the Japanese actress Mitsuko played Bond's French liaison. There you go.
2: Yes, when the Beauvoir's limousine pulled out after the funeral, the DB5 is parked next to some other cars. But then I have to ask... What did he do with his hat and jacket that he had on on the balcony during the funeral? Where did (laughs) it go?
1: (laughs) Hopped onto a jetpack. What happened to his hat?
2: Well, you know, first of all, first of all, on a narrow
0: screen version, which if you look on some of the YouTube clips of this, you can't see the DB5 parked off on the right. You got to look at the widescreen version of this to see that. And secondly, his hat and coat. Hey, what, what the hell? This is easy to get rid of, especially since Bond knew that his plans were to fly the rocket belt to and from the Chateau. He gave them to his French connection or threw them out. What does he yeah, care? How, the the how, did he car? <laughs> how did he know he need that?
1: How did he know he need that? He wasn't certain that Bouvard wasn't dead until he saw Bouvard get into the limousine. I mean, remember, he was at what he thought was Bouvard's funeral. He was making sure it was and then he sees that it's bouvard instead of the widow getting into the limo yeah yeah, so he had to make the decision then to go to the chateau so how would he have been prepared for that
0: well because he had the rocket belt in his trunk and you know it no well-dressed man should be without one he said so (laughs)
1: yeah
0: (laughs) he had it in his trunk down to the car but the car the car's in front of the chateau threw his
1: hat and and jacket into the (laughs) The car got the rocket belt on put the rocket belt on (laughs) flew across the Chateau, and still beat the car that drove a half a this mile. This
0: is the problem with the, with the DB5 being parked in front.
2: <laughs> now. And it's here again, that I can see Q saying, I've got this new, this new item for you, Bond. You know, you, uh, put, take this with you, you know, you might need it. It's here again, how did Q know he's gonna need something like this? <laughs>
0: yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Look, Q's good with stuff like that. I mean, he, he kind of knows. And, and Bond true. being prepared may have hidden the rocket belt in the back of the chapel, outside. Who knows? We don't know for sure. But he said, come on to her, to the French Connection, and she was part of this. So, all right, back to his escape. They quickly throw the rocket belt into the boot of the Aston Martin. How hot
1: would that have been? If he had just flown a rocket <laughs> from the thing, and he just lands and immediately takes the thing and throws it into the, to the boot. Very careful just,
0: where he grabbed it, I'm yeah. sure. Very careful right. where he grabbed that thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then now the, the top of this boot looks like it has a very light layer of dirt, very evenly distributed on here. Remember I said... It kind of looks sloppy to like me. I don't know. It kind of looks this layer. Like... So if you look at the top of the boot, it does look like there's a light layer of d- dirt dispersed on it. We'll talk more about that in a second.
0: Yeah, there is dirt on it, for sure. It's not unilaterally distributed.
1: Well, no, actually, when he lands, it is.
0: I can't see that. I didn't see that part.
1: Now, the top of the boot looks like it has just a very light layer of dirt. And as I said before, evenly distributed across the car, including the top of the boot.
0: And just as Bouvard's henchmen are about to open fire on them from the ground level as they ran after them out of the chateau, the DB5's rear shield comes up.
1: Oh. And then the back of the car's dirt changes. It looks almost rusty. It's blotchy. Yeah, it's and the blotchy. The dirt sure. isn't evenly distributed at all. And it wasn't just the act of the shield coming up. Something changed between the one take and this next take.
0: All right. Then you see Bond, he fires out water at a tremendous velocity, enough to knock down all three guys. In pursuit. Now, there's four things I want to point out about the water. As Tom asked in another podcast, where can the Aston Martin store all that water? Yeah, I could see it (laughs) shooting some
1: water, but not that much.
0: And and water. I mean, God, fundamentally a water hose is being fired at you, so it's pretty easy to step aside, (laughs) right? (laughs) The hose. The hose is. (laughs) firing in one spot
2: <laughs> it's,
0: step aside you won't get knocked over by it or tumble and roll and and avoid it no not these guys <laughs> they all get knocked down by the water that's my second point the third point is why waste time with the water if you're bond
1: because the- you can q gave you a cool toy you've got to <laughs> use it
0: the bulletproof shield is up drive away get the hell out of there what are you waiting for water yeah but the last point on the water cannon shooting out of the aston martin it answers our last question this is a brilliant transition to the title sequence and a foreshadowing of what thunderball's dominant theme is water it's all about water and this scene magnificently alerts us to what we are about to see as one of the main themes in the movie Water, water everywhere. From swimming pools with sharks, to NATO aircraft underwater, to frogmen, underwater caves, secret underwater doors on boats, and more. It all starts right here. Brilliant.
1: There really is.
0: We post a lot in Bond Facebook groups, and we posted about this episode coming up and asked for some input. So Aidan Nairn, one of the members in one of the groups, said, I love Bond's pre-title sequence, especially how smoothly it transitions into the title sequence. So he agrees with us. And they're all good, but I'd say it's between Thunderball and Goldfinger for Connery's best pre-title sequences. We love them both. They're great.
2: He's right. Now the last shot is water splashing up against the camera lens as it morphs to a beautiful silhouette of a woman underwater. Bubbles rising and the Thunderball title song playing... Tom Jones belting out Thunderbolt to the title sequence Love It. Yeah. I think it's the first time they used nudes in the pre title sequence, too.
1: They used less and less clothes as they moved forward. Maurice Binder did the titles for Dr. No, and there's some silhouettes of clothes dancers. Mm-hmm. Then Robert Brownjohn took up the title sequences for both From Russia with Love and Goldfinger. In From Russia with Love, the images are projected over scantily clad women. <laughs> Goldfinger was the first title sequence to superimpose over a gold-painted model, although the model was wearing a bikini or a bra and panties or something like that. So in Thunderball, Maurice Binder returned and added the nude silhouettes. Yeah. Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service brought out more silhouetted nipples, (laughs) and over time the silhouettes had more light cast on them leaving a little less to the
0: imagination. (laughs) Yes,
2: Yes, Binder filmed Naked Swimmers in black and white and then added color by use of optics for effect.
0: Yeah. This was a fun discussion. It was fun decoding some of the scenes in the pre-title sequence for Thunderball. That wraps up our coverage of the pre-title sequence. Thanks for listening. This has been Dan Silvestri,
1: Tom Pizzotto, and Vicky Hodges with
0: our quick-fire look at the pre-title sequence in Thunderball. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, right now through your favorite podcast app and on YouTube as well. Tell a friend about our show, support our sponsor, SpyCoffees.com, and thanks for listening. We appreciate it.